Hello and welcome everybody to Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 7 for the weeks of June 16th and June 23rd. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And I just want to remind everybody that our podcast has spoilers in it for the comics that we're reviewing, but all of the reviews online that are written by Joe are spoiler free. Unless otherwise noted. Right. And Joe has a bunch of Wildstorm news to go over, so take it away, Joe. All right. We've got uh, two new video game comics coming in September. We've got Ratchet and Clank number one of six, which is written by TJ Fixman and art by Adam Archer with a cover by Creature Box. Never heard of them. Interesting. Let's see. It says, with uh, Doctor Nefarious defeated and the universe safe, Galactic Heroes Ratchet and Clank return to the Solana Galaxy for some well-earned rest and relaxation. But when entire planets begin disappearing from the universe without a trace, Galactic President Owark calls them back into action to solve the mystery. As the rest of the universe erupts in panic, the duo must embark on an epic adventure that will pit them against their most capable adversary to date, a Marcasian planet thief named Artemis Zog. Now, I've never played these games, but apparently they're very fun, very popular. I've, I've uh, seen others who play it. So for fans, should be a fun miniseries. And the other video game uh, comics coming out is called The Talara Chronicles which is a four-issue miniseries, and it's written by Rick Sanchez and art by Pop Man and covered by Miko Suyan. <laughs> Older Wildstorm fans will probably remember Pop Man. He kind of showed up here and there doing different Wildstorm comics early in the day. I couldn't tell you which ones, but I remember that name. Uh, Talara Chronicles is based on the highly anticipated uh, MMORPG from Tryon Worlds. And it's the story of a world being devastated by magical tears in the veil, keeping it safe from the outer planes. These rifts come without warning, unleashing fantastic and terrifying invasions on the people already engaged in civil war. Talara's champions have been forced to choose. Join the Guardians and fight to restore the faith of the world that once was, or become a defiant and embrace long-dead technologies to usher in a new age. From one of these competing factions comes Asha Katari, a plane-touched warrior with magical abilities. Follow Ash's story and discover the war-ravaged world of Talara. So I had actually never heard of that yet, and uh, I usually keep up with video game news, so this is new to me, but I assume this is part of their strategy is building up hype for their game. So We also have uh, the trailer for the movie out called Red, which is based on Warren Ellis' comic. You can go to comingsoon.net to check that out. Uh, it's got Bruce Willis in the lead, and it's got a very cool cast. Uh, I've never read the miniseries but the graphic novel is out for those who want to read it it's a quick read it's only three issues but i can tell you from the trailer that i saw it's very very fun looks very hip you know kind of movie so it should be a lot of fun have you ever read that series i have actually you can get the back issues for like a buck a piece if you're looking yeah i think when they released that graphic novel they they put in some extra stuff i guess to you know try to get people to to get it but yeah i think i did see that the back issues are pretty cheap so and finally, the biggest news was that DC Comics launched its digital publishing this week, which um, James from the Wildstorm Resource Wiki was good enough to post uh, what digital offerings they had that were Wildstorm books. So from uh, the Wildstorm universe, first thing they did, which I thought was pretty smart, was they put up the first issue of each of the World's End titles, which is Gen 13, 21, Stormwatch 13, Authority number one and Wildcats number one, and each of those are 99 cents. 
They also released Planetary 1 through 6. Uh, those are actually $1.99 each. And the interesting thing about those is that they're rated 17 and, and over. If I remember right, that's just like the first arc or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a teaser for the series. And obviously, it's, it's uh, kind of a primer for people who don't have the first trade or are looking to get the Absolute Editions, which are coming out in July. Uh, one weird one that they had was Team Zero, the six-issue miniseries, which it just kind of seemed like an odd choice because that miniseries is just kind of there. It wasn't really popular. I mean, so but those are 99 cents each if you want to check that out. Um, the licensed stuff they have, uh, they've got Dante's Inferno 1, 2, and 3, which is you know half of the miniseries. They've got Fringe number 0 for free, and they've got Fringe number 1, 2, and 3. Uh, James didn't put the price for these, but I assume they're between you know ninety nine cents and a dollar ninety nine. Uh, Mirror's Edge number zero is also free, and then they have Mirror's Edge one, two, and three, which is also the first half of that miniseries. And the only creator-owned stuff they had was uh, Victorian Undead number one, which is a dollar ninety nine. So, so it's cool that um, not only DC did this, but that they took Wildstorm into consideration and actually put out some titles there to to download. So that's really cool. Was really happy to see that. Yeah, I hope they get uh, back Wildstorm Universe stuff in there soon. Yeah, somebody mentioned that it would be like a virtual dollar bin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, I guess let's move on to the reviews for the week. Deviate Gods and Monsters number three. Uh, as you can tell you know, by the Fiona Staples cover, we're going to focus on Powerhouse, which is uh, another character that I, I didn't really... Um, I didn't really get to know him too much in the original series because uh, he, you know, Ellis t- touched on him a little bit, but not 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 too much. And, and um, I think you were the one. Were you the one that that said that he was like mainly drunk in the original series? Like that was his thing. Yeah, he drank through the original series. He kind of drank his sorrows away, and um, he died in the first original series. Um, so yeah, there wasn't a whole lot to him to his story. And I always look at his last name, Morales, and I just interchange it with morals, and he didn't have any. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, and also just to mention the, the theme that Brian Wood has with the titles continues here. This issue is called Chemical Chords, which is a song by uh, the American band's uh, Stereo Lab. It's off of their 10th album, which was released in August 2008 which is actually interesting that he picked a newer song because the other two for the first two issues were older. So, But I like how he's doing that. I love when writers pick a theme like that and they go with it, especially when they know that a story you know, has a beginning and end. That is, This is not an ongoing series, obviously. But um, keep in mind what Ben said about the whole he, the powerhouse drank a lot in the original series because uh, they take that and they do something different here. And I'll go into that in a second, but I think, but it made me understand why he stayed drunk in the original series. Uh, so basically, you know, Copycat and Frostbite have kind of teamed up, and they're the only two who seem to be, you know, concerned about the fact that they're stuck on this world, and you know, there's all these primitive tribes, and each of the kids have gone off, um, ended up in their own tribes, and have all affected each tribe depending, you know, based on their powers and based on their own motivations. You know, we saw Bliss 
basically used you know her power to take over that all female tribe and um the tribe that copycat and frostbite are with you know that tribe seems to be obviously treating them like gods but copycat and frostbite are not indulging in it they're just kind of like you know well you know we're not really gods but we do want to help you you know powerhouse on the other hand has decided to check out basically <laughs> um the tribe he's ended up with is um i'm not sure there's other males here i only see females in this issue so so i'm not sure but he got lucky but base yeah <laughs> i know right it's like him and and, and bliss apparently took the other one because i don't think the others ended up in all female ones so i don't know, we'll see we'll, we'll see where sublimans ended up but but yeah so they're basically just having a big old bong party is what i call it you know they're just staying high and uh obviously powerhouse is not concerned about anything <laughs> you know uh they just give us a quick reminder too that copycat is being interrogated on the carrier we're not sure we're not sure by who yet i assume it's one of the authority members but um but she's the one who's kind of filling us in on on what's going on and and it's her point of view especially since you know we're still learning about the characters um you know, for some of us, it's the first time. For some of us, like like me, that I don't remember too much about them. You know, I love that Copycat comes in and, and narrates uh, when it's appropriate. Uh, it just helps, and that way, it 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 allows for for the dialogue and the situations to keep going, and for us not to have any kind of forced dialogue of you know, well, you know that Hector does the you know powerhouses powers are you know, and you know that old style writing where you just kind of forced in the the exposition into the dialogue you know he uh powerhouse allows copycat to 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 come in but he won't allow frostbite in i'm not sure if that's any old old feelings between them two do they have did they have any animosity between each other frostbite and powerhouse i don't remember any well maybe he maybe he just wants to keep girls around him i don't know <laughs> he doesn't allow uh he doesn't allow frostbite in i just don't think he trusts them yeah so, you know, here we go over Powerhouse's powers, which is basically that he feeds, you know, off the emotion of others and can use it to increase his size, which I always thought was an interesting concept for a power. The thing is, like you were saying about the drinking, basically he's kind of doing the same thing here, except, he's, you know, whatever they're using, you know, to, to stay high. As basically she realizes that he's blocking out all the emotions of all the warring tribes across the across this world and i thought that was a really cool uh really cool point you know because if, if his powers you know are what they say they are then that would be a problem and it's too bad that nobody in the old series thought of that because if he was back on the regular earth you know there's definitely enough you know emotions on this planet that he could have grown you know to titanic proportions <laughs> you know just based on that so that I found that really interesting. I, I really I, that that really showed me that that Brian Wood kind of just took each of these characters, really looked at their powers, and thought, you know, what can I do with these, or what what would really be some problems, you know, because just because you have powers doesn't mean that that you can use them without any consequences. You know, we get a quick flashback about how he gets taken by this tribe, which oh by the way there are men here because they show them in this flashback. He ends up killing the 
the husband of of uh, one of the tribes people and she decides to take care of him in turn because she considers him a god and she tells copycat that it, she considers him the herald her she considers that powerhouse and the rest of the deviate kids are the herald of the end of their world basically which if you're a bunch of primitive people and a bunch of people come down from the sky who can you know control ice and <laughs> control people's minds and grow large and yeah I, I'd feel like it's the end of the world too <laughs> Real quick, I gotta. I mean, we're, you know, we always rave about Rebecca Isaac's art, and here in this one, she just does some beautiful layouts. Um, you know, some artists, depending on on the artist, you get varied uh, results with the backgrounds. You know, some artists will will take more time on what you're seeing in the foreground and give very little attention to the background. She puts all her effort into everything here. I mean, the village where Powerhouse is, the opening shot of that village, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's morning. I, I don't remember they said it's morning or afternoon. No, it's morning. And it's just a beautiful shot. I mean, it's almost like a photo reference, which of course is not true because there's no, you know, there's no photo reference for this place. But just beautiful, beautiful art by Rebecca Isaacs just continues to just, you know, blow it away in this book. It's going it, to... You know, it's going to be such a, a beautiful book to look at and trade whenever you know you got it all collected. Basically, Powerhouse here is telling her, telling Copycat that you know he's decided to check out, that he's tired of tired of everything, he's tired of the life that they've all lived, and that you know, it's funny because he's arguing that they shouldn't interfere with these tribes, but that's exactly what he's done, and he realizes that's exactly what the rest of them have done, but he's saying that it's a mistake, you know. He's much happy. He's he's much more content. He says just doing nothing and just leaving the others to do whatever they want, and that they don't have to keep playing team anymore. You know that he's just basically given up. So with that, Copycat and Frostbite just give up and and leave. So very much a much more subdued issue, which I was kind of joking with some people on the boards that it's kind of appropriate considering that powerhouse is high most of the time in this issue so it it's appropriately subdued <laughs> but um i don't think that he's out of the picture you know uh, we're meant to think that obviously with the story but i don't think he's out of the picture yet so it was an interesting issue but uh it felt more like it felt more like setup than the other two have so far so what did you think i agree with that it did feel like a lot more setup but and people have said, you know, on the reading on the boards that, you know, this series has slowed down a lot. But reading this issue, I didn't feel that way. I didn't I didn't take it that way. This issue felt to me a lot like issue number one. The way that it was paced with copycat and the carrier going back and forth, it just it felt very similar to that first issue. And I really like how he writes that. And I felt like it it flew by like to me I read this I felt like it flew by in like five minutes but and it just must be the way that he writes I, I really liked that back and forth and I thought it worked well yeah I guess it was a setup issue because like you said I mean that can't be all that powerhouse is doing in this series I mean he's got to play some big role 
in it. But I wasn't disappointed at all in it. I, I really enjoyed the issue. There, there isn't a big what's next at the end of this issue, but I still, I, I'm invested in these characters. Unlike some of the other series that we've read, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to the next issue, despite not having a big cliffhanger. It was a conversation with Powerhouse. Nothing came of it. They're moving on. Doesn't seem like a lot mm-hmm. happened, but it moves the story on, and I'm looking forward to the next issue. Um, even going back to A God Somewhere, immediately you are invested in those characters. And I think Brian with Deviate did a great job in that first issue. You're immediately invested in these characters because you're so interested in all of them. A lot of people not having read that first series. So I gave this an 8 out of 10. I thought it was a great issue. I can't wait for the next one. Oh, yeah. And don't get me wrong. I did enjoy the issue. And I think because I... I, I get what he's doing. You know, I went ahead and gave it a seven out of ten just because I considered it above average. You know, but I, I just because it is more set up. But I guess it's good that I recognize that it's more set up. You know, I don't, I, I didn't feel disappointed at all. You know, it did give me a chance to learn, you know, or relearn, depending on how you look at it, about Powerhouse. You know, and and because we know that he's just not going to drop this character. You know, uh, we know that he's going to get some. Sometime, I'm just I'm just assuming that you know when Powerhouse comes back, you're gonna know where he's coming from, and you know depending on what choice he makes in the future, you're gonna know. Well, this was the point he was at. He basically given up. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those where where it is at a good place where you really don't know what Powerhouse is gonna do. You know, I can't. I, I can automatically assume. Well, maybe there's gonna be the big you know Calvary, what I call the Calvary scene. At, you know, towards the end where he'll change his mind and come come back but he might not you know he might he might just stay you know they you know they might in the series and they might have to drag him off this planet i don't know you know and that's that's the cool thing about about brian wood is that that you never know where he's going and that's part of his good storytelling is that he makes you want to keep following to find out so i trust him i trust that he's gonna take us somewhere good with this little part of the story so we have Garrison number three of six, written by Jeff Mariotti, and art by Francesco Francavilla. This issue opens up with our main female lead, Jillian, and she's targeting her gun right at Garrison, who's trapped between her and a group of black off clones that all have Garrison's face. And Garrison's hands are raised up in surrender we kind of get to see her thought process throughout this this scene and she's kind of torn because she's not sure that garrison is necessarily a bad guy right now so she doesn't know who should make that first move but garrison makes it for her because the next five pages are solid garrison butt whooping action (laughs) yep (laughs) He uses human shields. He snaps necks. He has slick knife work. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Garrison's action pretty much saves Jillian uh, the decision um, for her. She then smashes a surveillance camera and tells him to get into her trunk. And he's just as unsure about her 
as she is about him, but they can't seem to help trusting each other, you know, with their current situation. She even puts in a jab about him not being invincible, and even though he's not sure about his own abilities, but I guess he's going to prove her wrong about that, about being invincible. They make it through a police checkpoint without too much trouble, and she takes him back to her place while he sleeps in her trunk. He even says that he'll take it where he can get it. I don't sleeping, know how long that is. Yeah, sleeping. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that did sound bad, didn't it? <laughs> I don't know how long that car ride was, but. Uh... Anyways, Jillian asks Lester, which you know he they start using his first name, Lester Garrison, uh, about his past, and he'd like to tell her all about it, but he can't even seem to remember anything past a week, a few days to a week except for a few things. Um, he remembers fire. And we, we see a little bit of how he came up with his name Lester on the side of a mailbox in the town of Greenfield that he blew up in issue number one. He goes into whatever he can remember at the time, which isn't very much. And then he goes on to tell her to keep away from him and that he, he's just going to bring trouble for her life, I guess. And there's an awkward exchange, and she feels kind of bummed, like, that he blew her off, which he did. Um, but he leaves her her apartment. And as he's going, he even says that, you know, we get to see his thought process. He's even trying to find answers about himself, let alone her trying to find answers about him. As he's leaving, he, I mean, he's on foot, so he passes an alley in the city, and he sees that there's a mugger holding up a woman on like a dumpster and the guy's got a knife but it's not just any knife it's a glowing hot blade like um like we said at the beginning of the series it's set in the near future so i want one of those mini lightsaber <laughs> yeah yeah it is it's a mini lightsaber it's a glowing blade it's pretty sweet of course garrison has to step in and you know save the woman and does so in fashion and I'm not going to go through it exactly but the mugger is finished off with the hot blade let's just say <laughs> you'll have to see for yourself how he does it Yeah. and of course you know in this overly surveillanced world you know near future of course this scuffle is not going to go unnoticed a couple of cops show up in the alley you know outside the alley and catch Garrison and you know, we see his thought process again real quick. You know, he doesn't want to hurt them. They haven't really done anything wrong. They're just doing their jobs. But he has to kind of put them out of commission and ends up blowing up their cruiser in the process. And as he's, you know, leaving the scene, he, he even wonders, ugh, what will Jillian think of this, you know? Then we we cut over to Jillian, I guess, at work at the headquarters that she works at, uh, reviewing some surveillance, surveillance footage of the Greenfield event. That happened and you know that happened in issue one where he blew up the town and she goes through the real report that she had to pull some strings to get and she finds out that Greenfield was a testing site for an experimental government viral weapon they don't really say what it was I guess the scientists who were working on this weapon were 
watching to see how fast it would spread in the town's population, but it got out of their hands. Somehow, Garrison knew about it and blew up the town before it could spread elsewhere. This issue finishes up on Clark Sullivan. It was a woman that we met in issue number two. It doesn't really like Jillian too much, and she states that her new mission is terminating special agent Jillian Bracewell, and that she knows too much. <laughs> Joe, what did you think of this issue? Um, I liked it. I mean, this is this is kind of like Wildstorm summer blockbuster movie right now. I mean, there's lots of explosions, lots of fighting, you know. <laughs> uh, there's really nothing much to think about in this series. I, I, I think uh, Francesco's art helped a lot with this series because his fights are really, really well drawn. I mean, and every fight so far has been unique. I think that's what's really helped because this opening fight, you know, with him versus all the clones or whatever they are, you know, whatever they are, they're obviously not very good or at least not good enough to fight him you know because he takes them all out pretty easily so you know that that was cool i mean uh, opening up with the action sequence is fine and then i did appreciate that they finally you know they touch on where he got his first name and that you know they do talk about the whole you know um the reason that town was destroyed you know has something to do with some some sort of biological weapon you know and so at least we're getting some answers. You know, this is this is, you know, my argument with Sparta USA is that I don't feel like that's happening in that book, and here I feel like it's happening. It's happening at a good pace. It's like okay, I know something a little bit something more about Garrison in this, you know. So that that's the difference. That that's what I what I was hoping for in the other book. Um, the only thing in this one, the whole, you know, him helping the woman is getting mugged with the guy with the energy knife, you know just seemed a little out of place or a little forced i guess you know a little contrived it's like okay i finished you know basically we finished a scene where we learned you know some stuff about him oh wait we need an action scene you know because <laughs> there really was no point to that i you know it was just so random so and then i mean the, the knife thing yeah I, I understand it's a little bit in the future but so far we haven't seen anything that's even remotely you know futuristic until this electric knife, I mean, this energy knife or whatever. So I thought that was kind of weird, kind of out of place. But I was like, whatever. I just <laughs> you know, skimmed over it. And, yeah, we get one more explosion. And then, you know, now she's, now Jillian is hunted just like Garrison. So, you know, might as well, might as well be Michael Bay, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, doing this book. Because that's kind of what I feel like I'm reading is one of their movies. <laughs> so... And, you know, uh, I, I just, I've stuck with my same, same rating, which is seven, you know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I don't consider it average because I am enjoying it. You know, I consider it above average. So, and like I said, I, I felt good that we got a little bit of answers, you know, so that, that's why I'm enjoying this book and not going to be too hard on it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not being hard on it either. I gave it a six, which is slightly above average, but you know that's not a bad rating. I'm not not enjoying this book. I am. I mean, the action really moves it along, but it, like you said in that one scene, it it does seem a little forced. It does seem a little predictable. Oh, this other agent's gonna go after Jillian. I mean, it just. You know, it it does seem predictable. I mean, that you could have seen that a mile away. 
but yeah. it, it's not terrible. It is a blockbuster movie. Like it is fun to read. So a six yeah. isn't bad. It's good. I'm, I can't wait to read the next one. Like it's not, not terrible. It is it, like you said, it's, it's not Sparta. It's not weird. They are giving us clues. They are giving us actual answers, which is great. I don't want to be left in confusion and kind of ticked off. Yeah. But, I mean, you still don't feel anything for these characters. You're just kind of going along with the ride, you know, which is fine. Yeah. It is what it is for now. Yeah. And we still got three issues, which is good. You know, it's not almost over. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's plenty of time for them to do something wild and different. All right. We'll go ahead and move on to our next comic, which is The Authority of the Lost Year, number nine. And uh, this one's actually a little bit late. <laughs> this is supposed to have been out a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, yeah, they changed they changed the release date on it. I'm gonna have to assume right away that that's because of the art change, because uh, you know the story the story is still by Keith Giffen and Grant Morrison, and uh, you know and this is actually written by Keith Giffen and J D Demattis, J M Demattis, sorry, and the uh, Art is not by David Williams like it was last issue. It is actually by Wildstorm alumni, J.J. <laughs> Kirby and Michael Lopez, who I assume Michael Lopez did the the inks because it just says that they're the artists because I know Michael Lopez's style, and this is not it. This is all J.J. Kirby. Mm-hmm. So I would have to assume that the delay was because of the change in artists, which is weird that they would change, you know, because so far, you know, we've seen that each of the arcs in this comic have been you know two you know two two issue arcs three some of them have been three i think the first one was four but you know i was expecting that artist to finish it off so who knows what the story is with that but good news is i think jj kirby's art helped this issue a lot because uh sure did <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i like his art um i remember when he when he did some issues of the original Backlash series. Back then, I didn't like it as much. I I think it was too much of a change because he's got more of a cartoony edge to him. But when they did the new Dynamics miniseries, he did that, and it was just perfect, you know, for his style. And this world that the Authority is in right now is also perfect for his style. You know, it's real cartoony. They're basically in a world that's more akin to a traditional superhero world, and the Authority in that world are more like traditional superheroes, you know. You know, this this issue, you know, opens up with what are they called? Nasty baddies or some, you know, some goofy name like that. Nasty bastards, I think. There you go. The the League of Nasty Bastards. You know, they're they're arguing with the with this, you know, uh, alternate earth authority that basically <laughs> telling them that they're cheating because they have an alternate earth authority helping them, which is the Wildstorm authority. And that they want to, like, call a timeout or call, you know, basically reschedule this raid on on the carrier. <laughs> so, the thing with last issue was that you know we we're going into the story and it, you know, we we knew they were going to be goofy the whole way through. You know, I, I I compared it to us, you know, the authority in a sitcom. It's like all you're missing is the laugh track. I think J.J. Kirby just did a better job with the visuals overall. Everything just worked better as far as the. I mean, the dialogue was still silly, which is supposed to be, I guess. But, you know, as I'm going through, basically, you know, once they finish their, their argument, you know, they kick off a fight with Midnighter taking out 
you know, the league's leader, which is Emperor Maximus, you know, who's this, you know, like Julius Caesar ripoff and seemingly kills him by knocking him out of the carrier and, you know, he falls into the city streets below with a comedic thud. After this, this issue's just one long fight to the very end. <laughs> and it's just one visual gag after another. And I think I think that's why I actually enjoyed this a lot more than I did the last one, because the last one just bored me to no end. But this one, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to give a rundown of all, all the visual gags, but there's just, just so many little things. I mean, everybody gets a different a different chance to to be part of a gag and it's just like it turns into you know something just goofy the rest of the time and you're just kind of enjoying it i mean you either well you're either enjoying it or you're hating it by this point you know because i've i've read some reviews online of people who just thought this was horrible you know i can see that if you're used to the regular authority you know this would this would drive you crazy <laughs> because i think them being in this world after a while they start kind of acting like their counterparts so I think they even comment on that at the end that they realized that they started talking like them and acting goofy like them. And it was just like, you know, they were in a, in a hurry to get out of this world. In fact, I think their whole thing was they were going to ask this authority for help to try to get them, you know, back into the bleed and try to find their way back to the, you know, their Wildstorm Earth, which is the whole point of this series. And they pretty much just give up and say the heck with it. We'll find it without these guys. <laughs> You know, I thought it was a fun issue. Uh, I, uh, you know, I gave it a seven as well. I didn't. I certainly didn't. Didn't make me despise it like it did last issue. So, so it was a fun read. I mean, it's not. It does not redeem the entire series for me in any way, shape, or form. But I can say I read it and I, you know, was like, okay, that was fun. You know, next. <laughs> so, what did you think? Yeah, I pretty much agree with your assessment. Um, I think the last issue was just, oh, I mean, we panned it. I mean, you know that we did. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, J.J. Kirby's pencils really pulled this one together. I think if he had done the one previous, it may have redeemed it some. But I think what really redeemed this one was that we were prepared for the cheesy dialogue. Like, we knew what their intention was with this book. And I think in that last issue, we were just thrust right into it with the art and the dialogue not really being cohesive together. And it was just it was just harsh for, you know, regular authority readers. Now this one, knowing their intention and with his art working together with that corny dialogue, yeah, it... It wasn't terrible to read. It was actually kind of fun, and I understood what they were trying to do. <laughs> I still wouldn't give it a seven, maybe a five or six, but yeah, I mean, it was it was wall to wall corny action. I mean, what drew it down was the references to poop. I I thought it was a little. <laughs> I thought they went a little too far with it. Oh come on! You can't have a character named Dung Beetle and then not have some references to poop. <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, I don't know. I guess they were just trying to push it to as far as the goofiness levels that they could find. So, All else fails, resort to toilet humor. Don't you know that? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Literally in this issue. <laughs> so next issue, we'll at least get to see something new. Yeah. 
for at least two issues long. Maybe three. We'll see. <laughs> I really wouldn't mind seeing J.J. Kirby do more. Yeah, you know, he needs to get... I mean, he's. I think he's one of the guys that's been working on DCU Online. I think that's why we haven't seen him since New Dynamics. So now that that game's finally going to come out, we'll get him back hopefully somewhere in the, in the Wallstorm universe. Thank goodness. <laughs> get him doing Gen 13 or something. Yeah, yeah, that would that would be perfect. I mean, he's got he's got that kind of style that is meant to be on a fun book. Yep. So, Wildcats number twenty four is by Adam Beechin and art by Tim Seeley. In Wildcats and Authority and Gen thirteen, all the Wildstorm Universe core titles, we keep getting status reports to kind of catch up new readers or just you know uh, previously on basically. The status reports, I just noticed, seem to be getting shorter and shorter. They did start out as the first full page, you know, a couple arcs ago, but now they're down to one little line, uh, one little line of the panel. You know, this issue starts with Midnighter in Zanzibar seeking out Zealot, and he's kind of sneaking into her camp that, you know, her war camp that she's creating. And he's up in a tree kind of scoping things out, you know, trying to make his move and and find out a little bit more about this war camp. She's, you know, outdoors training her quasi-coda army, you know, that are all made up of human women. And she's doing it with the help of Cybernary, Petrified Girl, and Maul. You know, Midnighter drops down, and as he drops down, he steps on a twig and it snaps and Cybernary whips her head around, and there's this weird exchange, and it looks like she's looking right at him, but you can't really tell. And she kind of, you know, goes back about her business, and Midnighter moves on. And to us, it looks like she's staring right at him. And it's not like he's really cloaked and very dark. And it seems odd that if she did see him, that she would just let him go. So I actually checked it out on the boards because a lot of people had questions about that. And Adam Beechin actually, you know, responds to camera 23 and he says, the intent for her was to not see Midnighter, that he was still too much in the shadows of all the shrubbery to be seen. But now that you bring it up, it is interesting if she does see him given events that are yet to come. That's interesting, but I guess, you know, I guess she didn't see him, but... It really looks like that she did. I mean, in all honesty, it seems ridiculous that him jumping down from that tree that he would snap that twig to begin with because, you know, he runs fights through his head thousands and thousands of times over before it even begins. And, you know, he he should have known about the twig. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he wasn't going to fight the twig, you know. So. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's, he's got all this crap built into him. How does he not know about no? Whatever. Uh, I'll let it go. <laughs> not like it goes down to the store and it's like, you know, I this is Tuesday. If I go now, there's not going to be any Snickers bars because I know that, you know. <laughs> I know, but Tuesday afternoons, all the elderly are there and you'll never get through the line. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Midnighter will get through the elderly. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so Midnighter makes his way into like the main building. He sees all these, you know, rows and rows of beds of women that are pregnant all kind of sitting in them and 
and Maul jumps in. Needless to say, Maul's not happy about Midnighter's presence. And little Midnighter, you know, in relation... <laughs> In relation to Maul's enormous size here, I just I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure you're still referring to Midnighter. You know, I am little okay. Midnighter. Okay, he looks tiny. Yeah, compared to Maul, yeah. He basically puts Maul into submission. Um, you know, he forces him to shrink down because he just really wants to talk to him and get some information out of him. His real goal is to get to Zilla. The next page, we jump to Majestic and Nemesis at Majestic's headquarters. We learn now that he's actually conscious, but he can't move. But apparently his involuntary responses seem to work, <laughs> which is which is why Nemesis uh, is able to try to have children with him. And it's still kind of creepy, but, you know... We're kind of learning this through him and his thought process that he is healing and he is upset and probably is going to get some revenge on whoever has, you know, kind of broken Nemesis because her state of mind is not exactly right. He's not happy with the way that she's going about things and, you know, he didn't expect her to want to have a child so bad. He's kind of torn right now. I, I guess we'll find out whenever he finally gets some movement and can talk to her about it. But apparently somebody messed up her head a little bit. All we know of was that she was dead before this happened, so... Supposedly. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's just one quick page, and then we move on to Battalion, Voodoo, Maxine, you know, Lady Tron... And the Skeletor Dock, as I call them, <laughs> up on Skywatch. And they've been searching for the new Doctor restlessly for three months. Um, but they find out about another could-be Doctor in Salem, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, And she's supposedly a witch, and she's at the stake. So Lady Tron and Battalion go down to stop the burning to help the poor woman down from the stake. And as they let her go, they learn too late that she is actually a witch. Oh! <laughs> Should have listened to those crazy Salem people. Yeah. <laughs> but as she's about to rain some destruction down on Battalion and Ladytron, da 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 da, we have a new character that quickly dispels her, pun intended. quickly dispels the situation and uh, pretty much fries the witch's head off which is pretty cool with a bolt of lightning Um, we learn this new character's name his name is Aeon and he claims to have come to save their world which I don't know some people have said that you know he looks very familiar to me I, I don't think that this is a an old Wildstorm Universe character. Maybe you know. I don't know. But to me, he just looks like a very DCU-based character. Like, they all have that look. He has that look. So that's just a couple pages, and then we finish up on... Oh, actually, we move on to Nairobi, Kenya, and where more of the Wildstorm Universe heroes are fixing up the planet, and we see Fuji and Hellstrike on the top of a high-rise, and they're fixing housing projects in that area. 
and off in the distance, we're introduced to a long-lost archenemy of the Wildcats, the Troika. This is Slag, Attica, and Harm. So, I guess we'll be running into them in the next couple issues. Should be interesting. We haven't seen them for a long, long time. We're talking about Wildstorm Adventures, like, 93. I mean, it's it's been a long time since we've run across them. We finish up in Zanzibar, you know, with the meeting of Midnighter, and Jeremy's trying to catch Midnighter up on what Zealot's plans are for her army, you know, what he did to help her out, and how he's, you know, using him, how she's using him to help speed up the birth and gestation process so that she can grow her army more quickly. And Midnighter's just like, why, how do you think that this is a good idea? He's just like, how can you be doing this with her? It's just crazy. And eventually Cybernary comes in and, you know, Cybernary and Petrified Girl, and they come in and pretty much tell Midnighter that Zealot's ready to meet him. There's pages of build-up, actually three pages of setup for the inevitable fight that we've known about a couple issues ago that we've been waiting for between Zealot and Midnighter. And I guess we're going to get it next issue. They may as well just make the next issue all of that, <laughs> in my <Yeah>. opinion. <laughs> well, I think it's cool because, you know, it is issue 25, and, you know, I, I, I like that they're doing something big for the issue, you know. Wow, I haven't even thought about that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've, since we've made it all the way to a Wildcats 25. Yeah, it has. What did you think of this issue, Joe? Oh, I, I'm just loving Wildcats right now. I mean, this is, you know, Wildcats by far is my favorite just Wildstorm book, you know, my favorite team. And, <clears throat> you know, there's, like I said, you know, I've followed them for so long. I've been there when, when the title has just been, you know, mediocre. I've been there when it's been really good. You know, right now it's really good. And like I've said already, I think it's really cool that the characters characters are all mixed up because Midnighter's here and he gets to fight Maul, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't remember. I'm sure that it's possible that it's happened in the past. I don't remember, but, you know, it's just it's just cool. I mean, uh, yeah, that whole cybernary thing, by the way, to talk about a, conf- a character with a confusing history, mm-hmm. you know, because there's been, there's supposed, well, there's, <laughs> there's kind of been two of them, but not really. <laughs> They're supposed to be the same person, but he calls her Katrina, which is the first Cybernary, and he do, they he does talk about that you know that her enhancements, her bio enhancements were stripped, you know, which happened at the end of DNA's authority run. So that's cool that they kept that, you know, and it it goes it goes with it, you know, it's like you're looking at her, and I'm like, okay, yeah. Besides the horns, you know, which are not cybernetic, she's pretty much normal. So that's that's that I, I like that they kept that because for a while there it was it kind of seemed like they were just going to drop it, but they they didn't. So I really appreciate that Adam Beechin did his homework and is keeping that going. And um, yeah, I love Maul's reaction to Midnighter. I mean, just did, did not waste any time changing, you know, into his giant form because you know Jeremy Stone obviously is supposed to be you know intelligent, and I hope I'm glad that he's smart enough to know. If you're going to confront Midnighter, you better not start by talking in your normal form. You better just go straight to your giant form, even though that's going to 
cause you to get dumb for a while, but you'll survive a, an encounter with Midnighter in that form. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you will. <laughs> so that I I really like that, and and yeah, I'm I, I'm glad that Midnighter put um uh, that Maul did get to fight him a little bit, but I, I mean I knew Midnighter was going to end up taking him down. It's just you know inevitable. And yeah, the whole thing with Majestic and Nemesis is cool. I like that he's attributed to that to somebody is taking control of her, which she mentions that somebody saved her, you know, when she fell into the volcano, but she doesn't know who. So I'm glad that it's that the way she was acting like last issue is not really her now, mm-hmm. you know, because that was, I mean, I was accepting it. I wasn't like, oh, you know, that's not her character. I was like, okay, let's see where you're going to go with this. And so there's a lot of mystery as to why she's even alive. So I like I like what they're planting here. I can't wait to see what they're going to do with that. The little trip that Battalion and Lady Tron make to Salem is cool. And I love that, yeah, that the girl is actually a witch. Uh, you know, and Tim Seeley, I mean, he went through the trouble to give her such a simple little, I mean, it's not a costume. You know, she basically dressed like a, a goth girl. Yep. You know, and uh, even has a little bat on her T-shirt, which I think was hilarious. Because uh, that's what her power is, apparently. She Or part of her magic she made herself grow you know these big wings and so all these little 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 things that tim city's tim seeley's putting in there that are just making this visually fun and like i said i love that it's just like we had a similar joke to this in the authority where it's like oh here's a cool new character no they're dead (laughs) 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 and concerning aeon here's what I've heard people say, and, and I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't been paying attention to people's on the boards, what their different theories were. But somebody mentioned that this costume is actually a costume that was like going to be used in in um, uh, Divine Right, The Adventures of Max Faraday. So some of the symbols like on his costume, especially the one that's on his uh, chest, are, are similar to the symbols like in the creation equation, the stuff that Max Faraday dealt with in his series you know and we saw that he stayed in the little pocket universe he created at the end of crystals gauges wildcats run and he claimed that he stayed because he needed to keep the little universe going you know while the rest of the heroes help repair the earth and then he can bring all the refugees he has so but i'm putting my bets on that this is max Faraday. i don't know i mean i'll wait to see what else he can do but pretty max pretty much can do anything you know with the creation equation power so so I can see how he would come to save the world. Now, why? what his motivations would be to come back as a secret costume hero, I don't know. So I can't back, that's why I can't back up my, my bet 100%. But it'd be interesting to see who he is, who he really is, if he is an old Wallstorm character or not, or if he is totally new. All I know is I'm just really curious about this character. But yeah, I see what you're saying about the costume design. It is pretty classic. But I, I like it, though. I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you got a good bet going on there. I, now that I look at it again, yeah, there are a lot of symbols on his on his costume. Well, something to look forward to. Yeah, and the the Troika coming back. I mean, for someone who's read Wildcats since the beginning, I was just like, cool. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, they're just they're not the best villains in the world. They're pretty much just you know super powered lackeys. Yep. But I mean, there's you know, there's there's just something about you know characters that you've read a long time coming back. You know, they're just they're they are part of the Wildstorm universe. 
you know, they were there in the beginning. Harm actually made an appearance in, in Stormwatch PhD in the early run, but a real quick cameo. But yeah, Slag and Attica haven't been around since, God, I can't even remember. Oh, I'm sorry, Attica was there too. He did show up. Mm-hmm. And maybe Slag, I don't remember. But point is, I'm glad they're back. And did you notice, by the way, that when they're, you know, because uh, it looks like they're going to confront the heroes that are in Kenya. Did you notice that... Um, when who's talking? Uh, is it Fuji or Hellstrike? I know. Anyway, they they name the heroes that are there, and one of the heroes they name is Santini. Yes, they do. As in, I assume Benjamin Santini, which everybody's been wondering where the heck he is, and why he's not around to defend his wife against Grifter, who's out in space, taking advantage of her, <laughs> or actually the other way around. Grifter's a victim. <laughs> that's true he is he is the victim yeah they list Santini, Duke and Crusade yeah Crusade he, did you did you read the old stories with Crusade? oh yeah yeah he's he's a cool character yes he is uh, I, I, I mean he's up there with Majestic and, and uh, some of the more powerful Wallstorm characters so I'm surprised yeah. he wasn't he didn't show up when, when um, Sebastian and, and the Red Blade were attacking he would have been a great help yeah, and he's more of a classic character as well. Mm-hmm. You can compare him to like Thor or something like that. Yeah, and they mentioned that Savant is here, and you know you don't really get to see everybody, but I just love that they're keeping track of where everybody is and they're using everybody. And yeah, there is there is the issue here at the end. Uh, Midnighter talking to them all, basically, like you said, you know, why are you doing this? Which I somebody brought up at the boards an interesting point that. You know, Midnighter was an experiment himself. You know, so he totally makes sense for him to take this personally because it's this kind of experimentation that created him. And you know, he he, he knows that you know Henry Bendix created him with an evil purpose in mind, but obviously he's you know using his powers to help the world. But but to see you know a hero like Maul who's supposed to be really intelligent, it's like why would you do this? You know, yeah, he doesn't really defend his position or he doesn't really get a chance you know Midnighter pretty much <laughs> throws him around yeah good point but um, but yeah I would be curious to see why Maul decided to do this yeah, and then Cybernary shows up and it's interesting that Petrified Girl you know tagged along <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know for those of you who don't know she came out in the Number of the Beast miniseries she's one of the Paladins uh, you know lost Wildstorm team so it's just interesting that she's just tagged along you know yeah, i hope we get to see her purpose because you know they just went down a list of characters that we'd like to see you know whenever they were in nairobi but then you know petrified girl is in zanzibar we actually get to see her why you know why even bother drawing her you know there better be a good reason <laughs> well you know i mean part of it obviously is that there are some characters there's so many characters out there right now you know especially in, in this title that I, some of them you just kind of have to visually follow. You know, I don't expect any lines from her at all. <laughs> if she is just showing that she's thrown in her hat with Zealot, fine, I can deal with it. You know, then she just becomes one of Zealot's crew, and if they get in a you know fight or something, she's going to be in the fight. You know, and that's fine because I mean, since there's they've never, she was just one of those characters that they didn't, they didn't have a need to go into anything about her yet. You know. Which is fine. 
All right. I guess you sold me on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just so many characters. I mean, what can you do? You just, yeah. I mean, the fact that we're following, you know, what are we, we're following Midnighters storyline, you know, we're following, you know, Battalion and Lady Tron. And now apparently, you know, what's going on out there in Nairobi. So they got a lot of stuff they're packing in. And I don't feel like I'm being cheated. You know, the, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I feel satisfied each issue. So I gave this an eight, by the way. I think it's still on its way to greatness. Oh, no, absolutely. I feel satisfied as well. I mean, I also gave it an eight. Um, between this and the authority with the mix up of characters. Yeah. It's, it's hard to pick one or the other one over the other. Um, you know, I would give the slight edge to the authority just cause I love how Tom Taylor and Miller are, you know, carrying that book. But yeah, both of these books combined, you, you have to read them together. They're just, they're amazing right now. It, it's such a good time to be a Wildstorm universe fan. Yeah. Especially if you're a long-time fan, because they're putting so much stuff in there from the past, you know, that you don't have to. It's a it's a point for you to go and be like, oh, who are the Troika? You know, that's why we created the Wallstorm Resource Wiki. You know, so you can just jump on and go read about them. You know, exactly. And that's part of the fun. Okay, uh, some of the other Wallstorm releases we we had in the last two weeks were uh, Supernatural Beginnings in number six of six. So that's the end of that miniseries. Um, we had the World of Warcraft book number three, and we had um, Astro City number one special edition, which is the part of the What's Next series from uh, DC. You know, Wildstorm, they're promoting trades you should be reading, and I agree, Astro City is one of those. Um, the Authority of the Lost Year book number one came out, and Fringe, Tales from the Fringe number one of six came out, which is obviously continuing the uh, miniseries based on the TV show. One quick note before we wrap up concerning World of Warcraft. I did talk to um, uh, the artist because there has been a concern about, you know, what's going to happen next with World of Warcraft. I think it was Mike Bowden I talked to. But the, he said that there is the new graphic novels being worked on, and hopefully it should be out next year. And he was very excited. He said, uh, for a long time, War to War, War, just Warcraft fans, he said, we'll be happy. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of allusions to early games and things like that. So uh, just a quick little thing, you know, that World of Warcraft is switching to graphic novel form from now on. So don't be looking for any new issues, single issues. They're just going to strictly come out in graphic novel form. So anyway, just wanted to let you all know that. That's good to know. Um, our release schedule may be shifting just by a few days in the next month as we head into july um just due to vacation and comic-con coming up lucky joe gets to go to san diego yay i hope so keep your fingers crossed keep your <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> i'm so jealous <laughs> yeah we'll get you out there next year i hope so definitely uh you can find the podcast and joe's written reviews at wildstormaddiction.com and you can find joe on twitter He's twitter.com slash grifter78. You can get both of us at twitter.com slash wildstormaddict. And you can also email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. So go do it right now because I know you have questions. <laughs> I know you want to ask a question, especially about Cybernary, right? Y'all want to know who she is, which one. Go read the confusing history of Cybernary right now. <laughs> All right, well, that's all we got for you this week. 
ladies and gentlemen. So we will be talking with you in just a couple more weeks. Keep reading them milestone titles. <laughs> <laughs>